Well, hey, and welcome to episode 20 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss how to have a biblical theology on marriage and divorce, in what ways the culture we live in has influenced our view on the marital covenant, and we talk a lot about the fact that Paul wasn't even teaching about marriage to begin with. As always, if you haven't yet listened to the message from Sunday, I do highly encourage you to do so, as it's going to make this conversation make a lot more sense. Well, thanks again for being here today, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Well, hey guys, happy Monday. Happy Monday. Yes, we got a snow day today. I was going to say, yeah, happy, uh, happy white Christmas, Josh. Welcome to Prescott. Oh, my wife said, she's so, she did. She was like, it's so pretty. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, that's not my definition of pretty, this white death out there. Until it all turns like gray and slushy. That's when it's like, ah, it's not pretty anymore. But for, for the moment, it's nice out there. It is beautiful out there. We've got the window in the green room that we're looking at right now. And you can actually see all the, you can see clear to Bill Williams Mountain from right here, like from where I'm sitting. And it's all nice and white and snow dusted. Tranquil. It's beautiful, Josh. What's wrong with you? Again, I, I think where you grew up as a kid is your definition of like winter. So I grew up in the valley. Yeah. that This didn't exist. Like I was in shorts and a t-shirt. That is my like, oh yeah, it's wintertime. I may have to put a jacket on. It is a bit of a, a bummer if you're into like being outside a lot, right? So like uh, for me, especially in Prescott, you can't, right? You can't ski in Prescott. There's no real snow sports. Actually, so uh, though over the last couple of years, what I have noticed, we live right over by Willow Lake and there's that nice trail that goes, you know, that wide trail. And uh, I have seen people cross-country ski and snowshoe on that trail. Anytime we get more than, you know, six inches of snow, people are out there which I think is silly for Prescott, but that's, a, that's beside the point. Uh, but like, yeah, I like being outside. I like climbing. Can't climb when it's snowy. That's I about not. to say climbing season's over, right? Till like April. Yeah. I mean, it'll, the cool thing about Prescott though, is this is going to be gone in 48 hours. Pro- I haven't actually checked the weather, but yeah. I'm sure it's going to warm up and, and melt. And so, yeah, I'd say 24. It'll be, yeah. This time uh, tomorrow, that'll be gone. Yeah. So once things dry, you can get back out there and yeah. climb again. But uh, I did have the thought, so I'm not, uh, I'm not a snow sports guy. I've said that many a time. I've tried snowboarding a couple of times. Doesn't, doesn't go well for me. Um, but I did think this morning when I woke up, like, oh, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just take a day off and grab Porter, a five-year-old, and we'll go up to Flagstaff and try to ski or something. Cause he, he seems super excited to try any sort of sport or activity that he wants to. So I did have that thought for about 30 seconds this morning. Uh, but it was like three o'clock, so I went back to bed instead. So I, I've never had that thought. I've never once said, "You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go play a snow sport." And half of my people, we don't do this. We don't, we don't play outside in the which snow. Which half, Josh? Which half? Uh, the half that is from a continent that is very warm all year round. <laughs> Not a lot of us are hanging out in the snow doing snow sports. You got to be more clear, Josh. You yeah. got to say it. The say black it half of me okay. does not want to be skiing. or I, Now, I will say this. So 
The redneck side of me, though, that's the other, the Kentucky piece of me. <laughs> in northern Kentucky, there was the tubing. That yes. is like, they take you up on a little escalator. You yes. got the little tube. Nice. Yeah. I'm literally, I wore probably what I wore today. I've got my red wings on. Like, I, I got no snow boots. I got no yeah. snow pants. I don't, I don't know what that stuff is. You can hop on that tube with like 15 other people and get it. Like that. That, but that's the redneck you, side of me. That, you, that's not very elegant. You're going to put that on behind a four, uh, four-wheeler yeah. and go scooting yeah. around. Yeah, so they do have tubing up in flag as well. So you yeah. can go do that. But I would love to see you on skis. That would be that, that would make my day. I, I bet your boys it. would love it. They probably would. Yeah, they'd probably I'm pretty agile, man. Yeah. For a big guy, I, got, I mean, I'm pretty agile. No, I would love it. I would but love to see it. I've heard a lot of like, I've just seen people go down. Oh, just yeah. watching them at North Point is what it was called. Like watching them fall I was like that looked like it hurt. It does. Snow is it's like kind of compacted too at that yeah. point. Like if it you hurts. Got a groomed it, trail, yeah. It hurts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not soft, generally speaking. Uh I mean this morning it will be up in up yeah. in Black Sabbath. Nice but yeah. I mean, y'all are just you should see their faces. They're like kids at Christmas talking about fresh <laughs> powder on the mountain. We, we I typically do Take my boys. We do it a couple of times a year. So it's become our tradition over the last couple of years to do a spring break trip to go skiing. So we'll go up to Purgatory uh, over spring break. And so, Time out. Yeah. It's called what? It's called Purgatory. It's just north of Durango, Colorado. It's a ski resort called Purgatory. And so we go to Purgatory. It seems like maybe the name would tell me all I need to know about that kind of experience. It is an interesting name for like a like a vacation destination. Yeah. So come but, in and you're never getting out unless you pay your way out. <laughs> so we oh, no, you got to pay to get in. So we we, we <laughs> right we go like three days and just ski. And my wife does not ski. She I I took her one time um, and she did this ski school thing and was on the bunny slope. And like legit starts down the bunny slope and you could hear her scream all over the mountain because she got to like six miles an hour and didn't know how to stop. And so anything where she feels out of control and she was like, as soon as she got stopped, she just took the skis and took them off and like, I'm done. And she was done. That was it. That was, that was forever. She's out. So when we do our spring break trips, she just stay stays in the Airbnb and, enjoys her life by herself and i take the boys and we go skiing all day and then we come back and she's got dinner for i us. mean you're a redneck from kentucky too <clears throat> where are you learning how to ski well it's funny there's actually the first time we went was in our youth group there was a there was a little i'm gonna say trash hill and it was literally a hill made out of trash in southern indiana right outside of rising sun called <clears throat> I can't remember what it was called. Mount Rocky. <laughs> it was a little, and they did fake snow, and we would ski at night. So they would do a fake snow. It's blowing snow on one side of a hill, and it essentially just turns to ice, but there's like, you know, six runs, and that's where I first learned. Um, but then I was in Texas for a while, and I would do like the CIY when I did student ministry, and I'd go to Colorado. We'd go out to Loveland, Colorado, which is right on the transcontinental divide west of Denver, and skied the transcontinental divide. And we, you want to talk about cold? Is taking that chairlift up to twelve thousand whatever it was feet there at Loveland, 
at 8 30 in the morning that will freeze your tushy off but i don't know i just dug it and so started skiing a little bit then so she ain't great but shooting threes running on the hardwood there you go and baby and let's get out there and, and ski, ski. i got right. and my redneck sons it. love it you know levi loves it and so they eli loves it they're great so they so that's that's one of the things that we do so yeah. we'll probably we're already looking into what's what we're going to go in spring break this year so, so it's always a ski trip it has been for the last few years mm. i think three years in a row and then like i said with like Brennan said, we'll go up to Flag a couple times. It's just hard to get excited about Flagstaff skiing once you've gone up to like Purgatory and Loveland. Mm, gotcha. A lot of ice. It, it's just not as good. But yeah, I feel like you just have to time it right. Yeah. Right. Right after, like right yeah. now. Yeah, that's so what I'm now. saying. Yeah. Today. That's, that's yeah. what I'm saying. But uh, yeah. All right. So Josh is going on our ski trip. I think that's what I heard. See, I'd rather go to the beach. But that's all another conversation. So. <laughs> rather go somewhere warm rather go surf right i don't (laughs) i've never done that but i it's a good time that's the thing so just not to get on a tangent but that's the thing that frustrates me about snow sports is i've picked up like every other board sport fairly quickly so like i picked up surfing pretty quickly i skated in high school like all of the other board sports have made perfect sense to me and then i got in a snowboard and it just made zero sense to me i tried it twice like two full days of snowboarding Mm. and i was like i don't understand what i'm doing wrong so I'm just not going to do this, I don't think. So skiing, I try skiing. I, I've never done that, and I'd, I'd give that a go. But uh, for whatever reason, yeah, snowboarding just never made sense. Hmm. So there you go. Here we go. All right. Well, hey, let's dive in. Um, last, this past Sunday, yesterday, um, we jumped into Romans chapter 7. It's first week in chapter 7. We went verse 1 through 6. Um, and I just want to open it up. Josh, tell me a little bit about what stood out to you from this past Sunday. Yeah, definitely a great job. Uh, I was talking to the guys, talking to you guys before we kind of jumped in this morning. Uh, just, you know, obviously this sermon it's a, for Paul or this this part of Romans 7 is not about marriage. It's about the example of marriage to click in the dots again that we are dead to sin. And this whole passage is really a continuation from chapter 6 to explain the value of baptism. But what I love is Jason's commitment to Scripture and his wanting to teach us the text. And so teaching us about marriage. You know, I was saying, I don't know if I've ever heard, and I've been in a lot of churches. I went to Bible college, conferences. Like nowhere in the church are we teaching that a biblical reason for divorce does not equate a biblical reason for remarriage. Um, so yes, there are the biblical reasons for divorce and we can get into that, but it does not mean that you're that anywhere in scripture, does it give you the, the reason or the right to be remarried and just like, again, so I I've known just cause I've heard the stories that you all have talked about this before, right? Quad city, Jason says the hard things, we do the hard things. And so this brings up a lot of emotions for people. And some people are like, Oh, I'm hearing it again, but but for a guy again who hasn't heard that is so refreshing um, to just say. I mean, we're going to try to be as dedicated to teaching what the Word of God says. So, just as a guy sitting in the room, and I'm grateful. I, this is not a popular thing. Obviously, we we'll always get some interesting pushback uh, from it when we talk about marriage and remarriage. But man, I appreciate it just as a follower trying to live out the Bible. So, man, I know. 
you always are like, oh, I'm going to make somebody mad today. But I appreciate it because we could just not say it. And it's probably a lot easier and less questions that come from it and mm -hmm. like not talk about things. But man, I think we honor God and his word and what he wants from us. And again, just reminds me of like, we don't want to lower the bar. We always, and that's what you said that very early when we were talking about Romans. Like, let's not lower the bar. Let's raise the bar for our kids. So I'm thinking, man, I'm, I have kids now who hopefully are going to hear this message. Like, dude, marriage is a really big deal. You don't get an out. Mm -hmm. Like you got to make it work. You got to fight to make it work. And it's really difficult. And so you got to choose wisely. So all of those things go into this. So again, just as a person who's a follower of Jesus, thank you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I think Josh, to your point, um, within our culture, the idea of divorce and the idea of remarriage have become so synonymous, right? I read a stat this morning that said upwards of 80% of people who are divorced will get remarried, right? So we've just said like, this is the same thing. So when we read about, you know, potential biblical instances where divorce is appropriate, which we have a couple of, right, biblically, we read with our American lenses on our glasses, right, as we're reading these things that if this happens, right, if my wife is unfaithful to me, I can go get remarried. No, that's, that's actually not, that's our, that's our filter. That's not the biblical filter that's been placed in front of us. So that's, I mean, it becomes a really, really challenging issue within the church. And I think that's why we don't hear many churches teaching this many pastors, you know, promoting this idea um, that, hey, if you do get divorced under one of these instances, here's what you have in store for you, right? right. The rest of your life is, is without a spout, right? So, uh, it, yeah, it makes it really, really challenging. And we even had a question Sunday about this, um, you know, that specific thing. So tell me, what would you say, right, to the person in the room that has been divorced and is now remarried and is now learning this of the first time? So I wonder, Jason, would you want to start there? Oh, um, sure. Help, help answer that question. And then we can dig in a little bit more to the rest of the message. Yeah. Well, we've talked about that issue before. Um, and maybe, Brendan, you can link in the show notes. I did uh, two sermons um, out of a series that we called I Do. Um, this was probably been two years ago now. Yeah, it was a summer thing, right? Or yeah, I can't late spring, I think. Maybe two years and, ago. Yeah. The, the premise was just looking at our, the vows that we took when we got married. And so we just took each line of our vows and we did a sermon based on that. And the, the last one was till death do us part. And so I did a whole message talking to people who were married and that that was the audience. I was like, I just want to talk to you who are married. I don't care if it's your first marriage or your fifth marriage. If you're married, you said this line, what does it mean? And so I did a whole message just trying to compel people to fight for their marriage. Exactly what you're talking about, Josh. Then we tagged one sermon onto the end of that, that I called, um, I said, I do, but I didn't. So, this was the message for those who had been divorced. And so I would just encourage you to go back and you can listen to both of those. And you got to listen to them together. If you only listen to one, you're going to miss it. So they, they do tag together. But the idea behind it is, look, if you've been divorced and remarried, like God can use that second marriage. Like we have, uh, a few of our elders have been divorced and remarried and they are faithful and God-loving, and love and serve and follow Jesus. 
Um, but what we have said over and over again is what we need to do in those moments is we need to repent. We confess and repent that we at least acknowledge, hey, I am in this marriage and actually I didn't do it God's way. I probably shouldn't have been. And recognizing it doesn't mean God can't use it. Doesn't mean God can't forgive. God forgives all of our sins. It's not an unforgivable sin, um, but acknowledge, hey, I, I got in this and it wasn't what God desired for me probably. And so I'm, I need to repent. And then from a place of repentance, strive to make this marriage be the best that it can be, to honor God with it. So uh, by no means is, <clears throat> is this an excuse to go get re-divorced. Like that, that's 100% not the thing. You took a vow and you should keep your vow. That You got to keep your vow. Yeah, was it a vow you shouldn't have taken? Probably, but that doesn't mean you didn't take the vow. And it doesn't mean the vow that God didn't expect you to keep the vow. So you made a commitment to the wife that you have. Keep the commitment to the wife that you have. So um, I think the reality is we just would say, hey, you probably ought to confess and say, you know what, God, we didn't do this the way that you called us to. It was a way that you biblically laid out what marriage is and how it should be uh, for your people, and we didn't do that. Um, but from this moment now, from right now, we're going to do things your way. We're going to honor you in this relationship to the best of our ability. So yeah, don't go get divorced. Don't leave your wife. You know, some of you are thinking, oh, this is my out. No, it's not. It's really not. <laughs> go honor your wife, honor your vows. Um, collectively, confess together. We didn't do this the way God called us to. Um, and we, we want to admit that and ask God to forgive us and then move forward, just like we do in, with every other sin that we commit in our life. Yeah. And I guess that's, there's a little bit of a nuance. And I remember last time, you know, we, we taught this during the IDU series, I got this same question in a couple of different ways. And I wonder if maybe we can tackle it really quickly because there's a slight nuance uh, because what the question that was posed to me, and this happened Sunday too, was, is like, Hey, are there other examples of sins like this? Right. If we're saying this remarriage idea, like that, that is sinful in nature. Are there other examples where, where, you know, that moment would have been sinful, but the continuation of that marriage inherently isn't right. So like, if, for example, the, the example that was given to me on Sunday was, okay, so if I'm an alcoholic and I'm getting drunk every night, like it's not just that initial time that I get drunk, that's sinful. It's every single time that I get drunk, that's sinful. So mm -hmm. should I not be repenting and stopping that behavior? And how is that different than this instance of marriage where I'm married and I'm going to continue that marriage? Mm -hmm. But what we're saying is the continuation of that marriage isn't inherently sinful. It was the first act of getting remarried. So do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think to, I think the example is skewed. I think it's apples and oranges there. When you talk about well, getting drunk, it doesn't matter if it's the first time or the 500th time, it's always sinful. And so marriage in and of itself is not sinful. And so to compare marriage to a sinful act, um, I, I don't think is a, is an apt comparison. Um, I guess the only comparison that pops into my head is I think about a a child born out of wedlock. Hmm. Like you've got this kid who was born, whether it's out of uh, sexual immorality, whether it's born out of adultery, 
whether it's whether it's born out of a rape situation, we could all look and say, the conception of this child was sinful. Mm-hmm. And we nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to label a child as, oh, you were born into sin. We used to. There was a day that happened. Mm-hmm. But we would all, if biblically, we could say, yes, this child who was born out of an act of adultery or born out of act of sexual immorality, <clears throat> that the conceiving of this child was sinful. It does not mean that the life of this child is sinful. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that, that God can still use that child and God have purpose and meaning and value for this child. So that would be the only comparison that I think could be the same. Yeah, this this marriage was birthed out of a sinful moment. We didn't do it God's way. It does not mean that it cannot be redeemed for God's good, for our good and God's glory. So I think Romans 8, 29 still applies. Like it, it, the God takes all things together and works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So if today you love the Lord and are called to his purposes, he can take the thing that was not a his desire in the beginning and use it for his glory and your good. So that would be the only comparison I think might be. Yeah. And that's what I've always gotten. Again, I've, I've been asked that question, I think three or four times, like every time we talk about this, that question pops up and usually it's someone close to me just trying to dig in a little deeper and better understand. And I think that's, that's just the point, right? Even though whatever created this child was inherently sinful, the child is not made in any less of God's image, right? Just like the way that you entered into this covenant with your now spouse was inherently sinful, the covenant in itself is not inherently sinful, right. right? Moving forward, it is still a a blessing to you and should be a blessing to God, right? So, yeah. uh, and that's where I've always gotten to too. So I think that's just a good question to try to wrestle with because I, I imagine at least as many times as I've heard the question, people are probably wrestling with it. So yeah, with a great example, so that's me, right? I am a child born out of kind of both of those things, immorality and what would be adultery. Like, and you know, that's kind of the, the beginning origins of me and my story. And, um, because of that, there are some consequences that my life has been a little more challenging and a little more difficult. And, um, some of my family stuff now as an adult, I know was maybe brought on because of that, because of that act that, you know, happened and, um, there's also some blessings. There's some really cool things that have happened. You know, that picture of my dad um, that we showed a few weeks ago, like I didn't even know that was him until I was 16, right? Now I have this family that is my family and I fit. And there's so many really cool pieces of that. But that act of sin comes with consequences, which ties back into what you said at the end, Jason. It's what I kept thinking too. And it's personal because you have experienced divorce. So you know that it we it causes issues right? Like, that's what you said. That's like, I think we just forget that. Like our sinfulness, it, it comes with consequences, whether in the moment or 10 years later, five years later, all of those things. And that's the driver of what Paul's trying to get at. If you were dead to this sin, which means if I'm dead to this sin, some of these painful things that I endure hopefully can end. Like if I really died to those sins, maybe some of the things I experienced, my kids won't experience. Right. When we see the picture of what Paul is trying to say. So I so I again, knowing you, you, it wasn't a oh, I'm talking about this because I've heard this. You know, the the reality of divorce and what it means and the difficulties that it caused. And so you're trying to get people to, yes, understand that divorce is a big deal, but even more so 
it, this is a big deal because of sin. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up. I had a, a lady come out yesterday. Um, you know, I typically stand up at the top parking lot, and I'm in between services, and she's coming out of one service, and and she was like, "Man, that was it was really hard." I come from parents who are divorced, and I said, "Yeah, me too." Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> I experienced three divorces before I got out of high school in my house. Like, like this is this is not some kind of ivory tower kind of teaching for me. And so when I'm talking about, man, the, the reality of the ending of this was not, again, like you said, it's not about marriage. It's about, he's using this thing that everybody understood. He, everybody in the church, they understood how marriage works. And so Paul took the thing that they all understood to try to help them to, to understand something they had a harder time understanding, which is the dying to sin piece. And the, the line that I used at the end was, look, you can't divorce sin. Like, you can't divorce it. You can't just separate yourself from it because, and this was the thing, like, divorce does not set you free. You are not free. And again, I'm coming at that with my own life experience. I My parents divorced when I was three, and that that did not set them free from one another. All of a sudden, one weekend I'm at my dad's house, and then the other weekend I'm at my mom's, and then we're always doing the uh, sports games, and when I'm playing basketball, my dad would come to some, and it would get awkward because my mom's there, and somebody's got to pick me up, and somebody's got to take me, and and then there's the Christmas things, and are we going to go to dad's house for Christmas? And it doesn't end. Uh, Who gets to walk down the aisle at the wedding? Is it my biological father, or is it the stepdad who actually raised me? And like, it, you're not free. Divorce doesn't set you free. Freedom doesn't come until the death happens. And that's the, that's the reality of what, of what Paul says. We know that to be true about marriage. Man, we've got to understand that that's also true about sin. Like, we got to die to it. We can't just divorce it. We can't manage it. We can't separate from it. We have to be dead to it. And so that's that's the whole point. And um, yeah, so we can't, we can't just, uh, again, what I was trying to get to, we can't take our teaching or our understanding or our theology of marriage and try to lay it over this text and expect that we're going to get the right understanding of dying to sin. We have to understand it biblically so that we understand what Paul is trying to teach us. A hundred percent. And Josh, to your point, I think you said something earlier that was, um, you know, uh, pretty important, at least to me, like frames this thing more uh, clearly for me, which is like, this is the reason that we're so passionate around this idea of baptism, right? So like when we hear someone say, well, but do, do I really need to get dunked? Like, do I really need to get baptized? We get a little upset about that question because it's like, well, do you want these things? Because what's the mechanism, the most clear New Testament mechanism to dying to sin? It's baptism. Now, can God kill sin in your life in any other way? He has the power to do that. I don't know what that means or what that looks like. What we do know is the most clear mechanism for us to die to sin is to be buried in baptism, right? And to be raised as a new creation. Uh, so I, I think to your point, like, that's why this is important. Like, and, and that's why we, again, care so much as to teach 
really what has been like probably five or six messages in a row that all have this kind of same common theme of going from Adam into Jesus through baptism and dying to sin in that way. So I, I just appreciate the way you frame yeah, that. Yeah, and also it's like this freedom idea we talked about. Where I think of marriage, and again, I, I don't want to sound crass, but there is a there is somewhat of a loss of freedom when you get married, right? Like I, I will first remember when I got married, um, I was just staying out. I wasn't telling Diana what was happening because I had been single for, you know, I didn't get married until <laughs> I was 26. And yeah. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, well, I don't have to check in. Like, you're not my mom, you know, it's kind of, I remember saying that, but it was like, no, no, she's my wife. It isn't just no, it's no longer just about Josh, right? And so there was a loss of some of that freedom, but the gain that I've experienced has been incredible. Same thing I think about- Are you we- trying to say you got a new master? I Exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> in a way that doesn't make marriage sound horrible. But that's the point, too. That off of the back end of what Paul said about, hey, we have to die to one master to live for another. In my marriage with my wife, although there was a, a loss of some of my individual freedoms, it has brought about some freedoms to live a life that has just been so rich and so glorious. And so that's the point that Paul is trying to weave to here is like, Hey, you're going to die to this and you're going to give yourself over to Jesus in marriage. And it means it's no longer just about you. You actually now have someone else leading the way. And there's sometimes you submit to that. And so there's this, again, this picture that he's weaved all throughout these last couple of chapters that help us understand how big a deal it is. And again, so much of our framework, we come at it with an American thinking. Mm-hmm. And it definitely impacts us. Because they're not even, like, it just blew me away. Like, even when you say, no one in the first church even thought this way. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they didn't. They, they don't even have this concept of marriage mm-hmm. that we have. And, and the pains that it causes us because of that, that thing. And it is cool, yeah, to that point, Josh, I think there's a lot of ways where we can look at the experience of some of the people in the early church and say, oh, we just, we know so much more than they knew because we have this book, right? We have all of these books compiled in in this way that help us know more than what they knew at the time that these words were written to them. And in this instance, it's like the exact opposite. Like they knew so much more. They knew at so, so much a deeper, such a deeper level the covenant of marriage, the godly covenant of marriage than we know in American society. So yeah, it goes both ways. Definitely. Yeah. So Jason, anything else um, from Sunday's message that, uh, that either didn't make the sermon or you felt you wanted to elaborate on at all? No, again, I think I just don't want it to get lost, right? The, the idea wasn't, again, Paul's not teaching anything new about marriage. That was not the point of this text. Um, I felt like I needed to remind us of the biblical thing for marriage because we have such skewed ideas in so many ways. But that wasn't the point. Again, the point is you can't divorce sin. It has to die. You have to die to it. It has to die to you. You are not free. I love, um, let me see if I can find it here. I love what verse four says, like, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, right? When we were put into Christ, we died through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, namely to him who was raised from the dead. For us to belong to Jesus, we have to get rid of the old master. We have to die to the one that we were bound to. And and again, we can't divorce that. We can't separate from that. We have to die to it. That's the only way that 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 covenant 
is revoked is through death. And so that's the picture here. It's again, it's not about the marriage piece. The marriage is the example that everybody knew to explain the thing that they didn't know. We have to die to our sin so that we can belong to another. We cannot belong to another until we're dead to the first one. That's the biblical picture that Paul's trying to paint here. So we've got to die to our sin so that we can belong to Jesus. We can't belong to Jesus while sin is still alive in us and we're still connected and bonded and obeying it. Yeah, I love the Diedrich Bonhoeffer quote. Uh, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And then we know what Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself and follow me, yeah. right? I think it ties into what you talked about last week too is, so we've died to sin and then continue, we have to die to ourselves, deny ourselves and die to sin every single day. Like it is an ongoing process. So the power of sin no longer has control of us, but each day, each moment, I have to continually deny myself. I have to take up my cross, which literally is death. And so that is the call for us as believers. And so it's it's uniting all of those things together to see this big picture. And again, so much of the early church and then all the church fathers, they talk about this continual denying yourself, yeah. dying literally all of the time, yeah. less of me and more of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's just that picture of um, what it is because so many people, what the real issue is, like you said, it's not marriage. So many of us are just bound to sin. Mm-hmm. And that, what he says, you no longer are bound. Like yeah. that freedom found in that verse. And so let's not, like you said, don't get hung up on the, the marriage example. Like begin to ask yourself, what am I really bound to? Where mm-hmm. is my obedience really lie? Because Paul is clear that we can be set free. And so many, again, I have more conversations about people who are stuck and trapped in sin than maybe this idea of remarriage, right? Yeah, and so right. that what what Paul was trying to get them to understand is, man, you no longer have to live that way. Which for a, some of those people, if they were Gentile believers, all they knew is this sinful life, going to the temple, doing these things, and inherently he's saying that that bond has been broken. I know everything around you says this. So for us as as pastors, like man, I can go here and show people, sin doesn't have to have control on you. You can be set free. You have been set free, actually. If you've died to yourself, moved out of Adam into Jesus, and now, again, daily, it becomes a thing you got to keep doing. Yeah, and I think it's important to to reiterate, like, it's not like a one-time shot that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and sin's not going to be tempting anymore. I mean, Paul, at the end of chapter 7, is going to get to this place where he says, I don't do what I want to do, and the thing that I don't want to do is the thing I keep on doing. And and he gets to the end, and he says, oh, who's going to save me from this body of death? Like, th- that our flesh is still driven to sin. Like, it is still innate in us. And so there is this fighting that has to take place where we are putting sin to death. We are dying to it and making it die to us. So that is going to be part of our sanctification battle for the rest of our life. It's not, But the, the point that, that Paul's making is, but it's not our master. Like we have a choice now. We don't have to obey it. It doesn't control us. We have a new master. We are filled with the spirit. We have the word of God and the power that that is in us to defeat sin. Um, Before we didn't have that. And so it bound us and we didn't have a choice. Today we have a choice because it, it isn't our master anymore. 
We've died to it. It's died to us. Now when I sin, it's because I'm choosing to, not because I have to. Which, that's a whole other reality, right? That's that's some onus then. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm making that choice. I can choose to not do that. And you can, and you know that, and we've known that. Every one of us have had that moment where where we've we've wanted to yell at our kids, but we didn't. Hmm. Or we wanted to look at the thing, but we didn't. Right. Or we wanted to say the thing, but we didn't. And I think what what we all have to come to realize is, hey, if I had the power to say no once, do I have it to say no twice? Yeah. Could I actually say no three times? Like, again, it doesn't mean it's going to be easier. It doesn't mean we're ever going to get perfection but there ought to be a growing in sinlessness mm-hmm. as we mm. as we mature in our faith yep yeah 100 percent. it makes me think of uh right uh number one of martin luther's 95 thesis every time yeah. we talk about this yep. it's the first thing that comes to mind yep. right when martin luther nailed the the 95 thesis to the wittenberg door yep spurring on the reformation of the church right yep. the first thing that he wrote and this is the closest english uh translation but when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent in Matthew 4, 17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Like that's what Jesus was doing in that moment. He was willing that the entire life of those that call themselves believers and followers of his gospel, like they, he willed repentance into the rest of their lives, like daily. And that's, I think, what we're talking about, right? We're, we're dying to sin on a daily basis. We're renewing our mind. We're confessing and repenting of our sins picking up our cross and, and trying to grow in likeness to Christ. So. so the simple way that I say it is repentance is not a one-time thing. It's an every time thing, right? Yep. Like every day, every time, 50 times a day. That's what Martin Luther's getting to is <laughs> every time, like you're repenting and you'll repent tomorrow of things you didn't even think were sin today. If we're growing in Jesus, we learn uh, oh man, it wasn't just my action that was sinful, it was my motive. I actually did the right thing, but I did it for the wrong reason, and that's sinful. And I'm re- just repentance is the life of the believer over and over and over again. And Paul's again, this whole theme, and you said it again Sunday, don't just take one of these sermons by itself. And so I'm sitting here, even my own self, thinking we spent so much time on all of the things that separate us from God, all of the the sins and the choices, the motives, the mind. And then we have spent that in the good news. Hey, here's the good news that Jesus has come, that you can believe in that. And it's out of that that Paul is now compelling us to no longer live like that because you see what sin costs. It costs you, but it also costs God, his son. Mm. And that, that's huge picture. It was just as you guys were talking, I was like, man, this is it. This is what people have to do. I, I see this thread that Paul has spent all of this time and he didn't want to make me feel bad just so I felt bad. But he made me feel bad and convicted because now when I have this new master, I look at that sin and go, oh, I don't want, I don't want that. Mm. I don't want a part of that. I don't want any, oh, because of that sin has separated me. That sin has not allowed me to be who God really has called me to be. And so, again, just a light bulb for me of like, man, don't don't unpack them all. Keep them all together. Um, this is a whole theme that Paul has been trying to, to write at us, and it had to start with you really got to understand how bad sin is. Yeah, it, as he says here, he reminds us, it bore the fruit of death. Like it just murdered and assassinated so much of the good things that God wanted for our life. 
and those sins that we committed and many of us continue to commit, it just puts the good things to death. And so, mm-hmm. so he reminds us, you don't have to live that anymore. You don't have to, but now dying to sin that once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we could serve in a new way of the spirit. Like we don't have to live that way. So we can, we can uh, now honor God, not just bear fruit for death, but bear fruit for life through the spirit. So that's the good news. Yeah, that's so good. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for chatting. We'll uh, talk again real soon. Amen. Well, that is a wrap on episode 20 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We're so grateful that you would join us for this time today. As always, if you have any questions or comments from Sunday's message, we hope that you join us at quadcity.church slash Romans, where you can submit any questions to be answered right here on the podcast. There's a link in the show notes to that site, as well as to the two messages from our series in I Do that Jason had made reference to at the beginning of this episode. Well, thanks again for joining us today. We hope this added value in your relationship with Jesus and your understanding of the book of Romans, and we can't wait to see you again very soon.